Psalm 48. I'll make some short remarks before we sing and then pray again. Psalm 48. Let's just walk, walk through this psalm, note a couple of things. It begins with the language, and I don't know if you have any little kind of subtitle for the psalm, something that expresses the general theme of the psalm, but you'll see for mine it says, the ornaments and privileges of the church, the, the blessings of the church of God. And if I was to say to you, is the church loved by the world today? You would say, no, no, it's, it's despised. No, no one appreciates the church, very few at least. It is one of the most despised uh, institutions in the entire world, if not the most despised. And yet, look what it says. Great is the Lord. It begins there. Great is the Lord. And since the Lord is great, there are a people that must acknowledge that on the earth. Beloved, you, you are you're found among that number. You're set apart to express to a world that does not see the greatness of God, that He is great. That's your calling. That's part of your calling. A testimony. Every time you walk in these doors and you're saying to the world, the Lord is great. Every time your neighbors see you get ready and go to God's house, you're saying the Lord is great. Every time they see you live your life, express your convictions, what you say, what you do, what you don't say, what you don't do, you're expressing great is the Lord. And when you tell them they need to be saved and call them to repentance, you're also expressing great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion, on the sides of the north, the city of the great King. Does it look like it's the joy of the whole earth? Does it? Is it what the world delights in? No. And yet there is no joy outside of that message that is proclaimed by the church. There are, there are forms of joy. There is counterfeit joy. There are things that look like joy, but they are not the kind of joy that will exceed, per, perpetuate through life and into eternity. That message is exclusive to the church, and you are a carrier of that message. And so the, world, the world's not aware of it, and yet the, the church is the joy of the whole earth. It's the place where joy is really known. It's where Christ is worshipped. It's where Christ is adored. And without the church and her expression of love and adoration and the regenerating work of the Spirit in the hearts of God's people, there is no joy, real joy, amidst the earth. Think of it. A world without joy. That's what it would be without you without what God has established in the assembly of His saints. God is known in our palaces for a refuge. He's not known in other places, but He is known there. For lo, the kings were assembled. They passed by together. They saw it, and so they marveled. They were troubled and hasted away. Generally, you have this despising among those of, of rank and position, but we're told in verse 6, fear took hold upon them there, and pain as of a woman in travail. You see, the, the Lord will, He will bring, He will humble the mighty. He will. And those who do not join in with the church will be humbled by and by. Thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish it forever. 
Selah. We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. Yes, yes, that's what we do. We gather here to think about the loving kindness of God. Out there, we don't have that message. It's not communicated clearly to us. There are lots of messages that are expressed in the world, and you, don't, you have your mind constantly bombarded with, with conflicting ideas, conflicting thoughts. But you come in the midst of His temple, you come with His saints, and you think of His loving kindness. And so we sing of it, we, we rejoice in it, we proclaim it, we meditate upon it, we pray over it. Where would we be without this God of ours who has intervened? And we can never get away from His saving grace that has to be, that has to be constantly on our lips. The children are reading through Exodus at present, and one of them has come to the first song, Exodus 15, just the other day. And, you know, they highlighted a particular verse as they normally do, and I was just talking to them about that song. What a song it is! And it's telling us, it's telling us, and, and, and the, the deliverance we have has to be followed up with songs of praise. And you've been brought through the Red Sea. You've been delivered from the hand of the enemy. You've been pulled out of the, the oppressing influence of Pharaoh, Satan himself, who has pulled you down, sought to destroy you, wants to bring you to the lowest hell, and God has wrought a deliverance that had nothing to do with your own might. And the immediate response and I put to you the ongoing response from every child of God is one of song. Always sing. Always sing. Child of God, always be singing. And when you are most downcast, and when you are at your worst, whether it's physically, mentally, spiritually, economically, whatever it is that's causing unrest in your soul, that's when you sing. It's right there. You don't sing always just because you're full of joy and everything's going well. No, you sing when everything's going pear-shaped. You sing when you can barely muster up the energy to do so. You sing. It's amazing how God uses songs of deliverance in the night seasons meditating and considering what He has done for us. Gets us back to the fundamental truths, what we have experienced. I deserve the lowest hell, and He has redeemed me. He has set His loving kindness upon me. And so we sing in this house, and so we should, but we should sing in our homes and in our own souls, always about singing of these things. According to Thy name, O God, so is Thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. Ah, yes. Is that not where Christ is seated? Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. How perfect he is in all his ways. Walk about Zion and go round about her. Tell the towers thereof. Mark ye well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces that ye may tell it to the generation following. Yes, study the church. Study the church. Study God's people. Study God's redeeming love. Amidst his people, study all of her stories, all of her history, all of her deliverances. Study her experiences and pass it on to the generation following. You think of those, think of those who, who avoid Mount Zion, who avoid the assembly of the saints, who avoid gathering with God's people. 
Those spiritual nomads that drift along and they're content because salvation is an individual experience and it requires no interaction with anyone else. Very few of them have a generation that follow truly in the Lord's ways. And this then is our conclusion. This God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. We are inclined to note all the failures of the church. We are inclined to see her faults and her blemishes, her bruises and her sins. And I am I'm as guilty of that as anyone else. And of course I am called to warn, to shun profane babblings, to, to avoid and mark those that be filled with error or be doing harm to the church. That's, that's part of it. You don't have to give an answer to rebuke the gainsayers. And this is, this is part of it. It's part of it. Shepherding, recognizing wolves when you see them and, and trying to, by the truth, hedge people in to the Lord Jesus Christ and His truth. But you think of this psalm, it is full of expression of the glories of God's people and the the experience they have had and the God that sits in the midst of them and blesses them and is with them and fills their hearts with joy and thanksgiving. This is our situation. And I look at some of our churches and and we're all small. There's not one of them that's large. (laughs) Not one of them. They're all relatively small. Some of them very small. And yet they're beautiful. If the Lord isn't there, and if His gospel is preached, as people assemble, He loves them. He loves what goes on there. He loves the saints that assemble. It doesn't matter whether it's in America or in the Middle East or in some part of Asia. And it doesn't matter how, how much wealth or little wealth they have, where they meet. If there's a, that, that sincerity of heart, and genuine spirit to truly meet with the living God, and there His name is known, and there He is published, there He is worshipped, and there He is prayed unto. The Lord is there, and He loves to be with them. And He is not like us. He's not like us. You know, we, we are, we are event, event-based people. We love events. You know, this is why when it comes to the big game, it's more important than the other games and the tickets can be set at higher prices, and all the seats still get sold out. You know, big events. And yet the Lord, the Lord loves just the, the, the simple expressions of worship in the gates of Zion. And we may have our certain events and certain calendar seasons where we acknowledge the incarnation, the resurrection, reformation, different things that we... But ultimately, where the Lord's people... Lord's Day by Lord's Day, Wednesday night by Wednesday night, and other occasions when we gather. He says, yes, they're my people. There's where I'll be. I'm there to make known my blessing upon them. It's wonderful. Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. Right here. (laughs) Doesn't look like much, but here we are. And we want to pray for the other works, and obviously many that are sick and ill at this time. So let's come before, we're going to sing and then we'll come before the Lord. And uh, 